Good day again to you, my friends. Welcome one and all to St. Mark Bemidji's podcast, a frequent audio dive into the Holy Scriptures from a congregation with enough knowledge to know that a tomato is a fruit, but enough wisdom to not put one into a fruit salad. If you're interested in learning more about our ministry at St. Mark's in Bemidji, take a look at our website at www.stmarksbemidji.org. If you would like to learn more about our brothers and sisters at Grace Lutheran in Iowa, we'll take a moment to visit their website at gracelutheransc.wordpress.com. Or just look in the show notes for the details of the podcast for a link. We also want to hear from you. If you have a comment, constructive critique, or you just want to say hi, drop us a line at john.kirk at stmarksbemidji.org. Since we have the pleasure of an extra Wednesday service through Easter, we will do something a little different with our little podcast here. We will continue to do two short devotions a week, but on Wednesdays, we will instead have the midweek sermon from St. Mark. Our Sunday podcast will continue to alternate sermons between Grace Lutheran and St. Mark's. I think you will enjoy the overarching theme, Crushed, presented through both the Wednesday and Sunday sermons. If you haven't subscribed yet, now would be a great time to do it so you don't miss any of these meditations. Our sermon for today comes out of our sister congregation in Sioux City and is titled, Peace for the Irrational Heart. Pastor Allard will read the basis for the sermon text from the book of Genesis, chapter 3, as he begins, and I invite you to open your Bible and follow along. Please rise. The word of God before us comes from our first lesson, Genesis 3, we read. The Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. So far the word. Please be seated. There's a magazine cartoon with a psychiatrist with his full notepad, he's taking his notes and saying to his patient, and I gotta quote this because there's so much to it. He says, so now my friend, besides your fear of nerve gas, sonic booms, the southern border, rock music, Wall Street, DDT sprays, plastic bombs, 3D printed guns, labor unions, riots, ICBMs, urban sprawl, inflation, unemployment, red China, street crimes, and revolving credit. Do you have any irrational fears? And it's not even really a joke necessarily, but you get the point. That list is a lot of actually thoughtful, rational fears. There is such a thing as a thoughtful fear. People can have very rational fears over a lot of different things. And they had disobeyed God. You know who I'm talking about. This man and this woman had a very rational fear now of what is God going to do to us. And then they did something very irrational. They literally hid in bushes and behind trees. 
as God was walking through the garden. And you couldn't almost imagine what they were doing as they hid behind the trees and moved their position to make sure that God didn't see them behind wherever they were hiding and then said, shh, to each other, he might hear you, don't talk. Irrational. They knew God, right? They knew God perfectly, and we'll come back to that point in a moment. They knew that God would know exactly where they were. People. You know, they do clearly stupid things, clearly stupid because we're not involved in that particular stupidity. Dumb things, like trying to hide from God. Remember the guy named Jonah? He tried. And he did not have the same knowledge of God that Adam and Eve once did. And so what did he do? He went to the other side of the Mediterranean to try to escape from God. He thought he could escape. He knew the mission God had given him. Go preach to Nineveh. And he said, no, I don't like those Ninevites. And if I do preach to them, they might just repent and then they won't go to hell. He never said the last part, but I'll provide that because that's really what Jonah was saying. David, on the other hand, David, he knew very well that he could not escape from God. And by revelation, he wrote what we all know to be true. And I quote, Lord, you searched me and you know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely. Where will I go then from your spirit? Where will I flee from your presence? If I ascend to the heavens, you're there. If I go to my bed in the depths, you are there. Cameron with his probes going through the Titanic wreck. God was there watching, observing what they were observing. God saw that ship go all the way down until it hit the seabed floor. Saw that. Those poor Soviet cosmonauts who most likely exist because good old Italians heard them on their radio receivers. They heard cosmonauts, before we ever put a person in space, screaming, Somebody help us. Somebody rescue us. They were stuck in outer space. God saw those people die in outer space, and he sees their skeletons in their spacesuits in outer space. Soviets couldn't tell us. It would look bad, right? God saw all these things. He's in the depths. He's in the heights. He's all-knowing. He is absolutely everywhere, and he sees deeper into us than we can or, let's face it, than we would ever want to look inside ourselves. And so, like Adam and Eve, we play games. Such an irrational thing. And even in our sin-corrupted state, we can actually sometimes know ahead of time, right from the start, what we did wrong, and we even know we're playing games. Husbands and wives know this especially. But all people do this to each other. You know you're playing the game, bobbing and weaving, in a fruitless effort to do what? To justify our action? To at least stall for time while I think about how I'm going to prevent, present my defense? Or to escape the piercing eye of God? So we pretend that what we did is not sin or that it's not as bad as people say. A common technique for playing games. Playing games is what we do. Is the blame game. Right? 
The blame game. Someone else is responsible. My parents, you know what? They were too strict with me. Messed me up. My parents were too permissive. They let me do anything, so my life is a wreck. My parents, I don't know if they tried or not, but we grew up poor. I would never had the advantages that I needed to be successful. My parents were rich. They gave me everything, and it ruined me. You start to see where I'm coming from here. We moved, when I was a kid, we moved too much. I could never create friendships. We never moved. We never did anything. We didn't take vacation. I was the youngest. I was the oldest. I was the child in the middle. And you know how that is. I'm not saying that other people do not sin against us or that they don't harm us. What I'm saying with that is we can get stuck in time, stuck in the past, and never changing from that day, locked in the past. Eve, blame the serpent, right? Blame game. He, he tempted me, and, and God, he was really good at it, by the way, of selling this fruit, and I ate it. And so she blamed the devil himself. But Adam, in the greater wisdom, the greater wisdom that God gave to the man, hold on a second, and the greater wisdom he had, he didn't blame Satan. You know what he did? He said, Eve made me do it? Yes and no. He was really blaming God. Good job, Adam. So wise. That's exactly the tactic you should take. And you start to understand the greater wisdom comment I made is sarcasm. But did you hear this? Adam shifts the blame and says, you, God, did it. The reasoning could come spewing out of his mouth as fast as it could come out of ours. We could come up with reasons. God, if you hadn't started this whole creation thing rolling, you started it, none of this would have happened. You could see this was going to happen, and yet you still created us. Right? I do what I do. I did what I did because you allowed it. God, you're all-powerful. You could have stopped it. You could have stopped it as soon as the devil started tempting us. You could have kept him from ever tempting us. But you let your sons and daughters, your family, be attacked by your worst enemy? Besides, you put obstacles in our way such that we cannot possibly have lived or made the righteous choice. You, God, you sinned. Our efforts to bob and weave, to play games, are pretty astounding, isn't it? Aren't they? We're really good at seeing other people do it. We occasionally can see ourselves doing it. And the thing is, this is probably the greatest temptation, I think, my opinion, the greatest temptation for the children of God. And that is this. It's where we are in time. God has already made us his children, his sons and daughters, right? Through the preaching of the word and through his sacraments. We have already been made right by his work and by his love. So now, what's the temptation? We are enlightened. We can see things others cannot. And we look out at the world 
and we forget. We forget that the only reason we are enlightened people is because of what God did. We forget that part. What we are quite naturally and what we will naturally return to, I found is very beautifully highlighted in, get this, an opening prayer for the legislative session. I know it sounds boring already, but 1996, Kansas House of Representatives. Listen to this prayer. This is awesome. Except if it was directed against me. We have endorsed perversion and called it an alternate lifestyle. We have exploited the poor and called it the lottery. We have rewarded laziness and called it welfare. We have killed the unborn and called it choice. We have neglected to discipline our children and called it building self-esteem. We've coveted our neighbor's possessions and called it ambition. We're almost done. We have polluted the air with profanity and pornography and called it freedom of expression. We have ridiculed the time-honored values of our forefathers and called it enlightenment. How long was the pregnant pause after that prayer ended? In the opening session of the Kansas House of Legislators? I imagine legislators whispering to each other, who brought this pastor in to say some prayer? Can we have like a nice general, hey God, just bless whatever we do, approve of whatever we pass next time? Was that pastor ever invited back? I don't know. But God does not accept any twisting of the truth. Any rationalizations like you just heard in that prayer, any excuse, more than he, any more than he accepted Adam and Eve's. He condemns the serpent. He holds Adam and Eve responsible. He holds us responsible. And then he promises that he, he, he says, I will restore my creation. Adam and Eve's rebellion caused death in the Garden of Eden as they begin to cut themselves off from the source of life. God, then, sacrificed. And I want you to dwell on this for a moment. Look at how God sets the pattern for all of human history. As soon as they sin, he sacrificed an animal and took its skin and clothed and protected his children. Sound kind of familiar? But Adam and Eve, just as well as God, understood that their corruption went way deeper than just skin deep and something they needed to keep themselves warm. They, of all people, keenly remembered what perfection had been. Of all human beings, who else in history could actually remember what it had been like before the fall? They remember what they had lost. And can you imagine this man and woman, husband and wife, looking at each other for a thousand years almost of life and saying, we did this. Abel's dead because of us. Cain also sinned. But Abel is dead because of us. A thousand years of that for these two people. But God doesn't lie. God indeed did love them and would love them. 
He would offer another sacrifice and praise be to God, you immediately know what pastor's talking about. He offered a sacrifice. What did he say about it? I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head. And you will strike his heel. Right there, already, God was speaking about the sacrifice. The creation is new again because of the sacrifice of Jesus. Is it complete yet? That restoration? No, of course not. We understand. We're still gathering in a church. We still need to hear the word and read it. But it's begun. It has begun. And dear sisters and brothers, this mystery, Jesus became your guilt. He he became my shame. God hid his face from his son because he had become too hideous to look at. And Jesus cried out. He wanted his father to return. He wanted his father to see him, to be with him. And yet no answer. My God, why have you forsaken me? No answer. God's God's eyes are too pure to behold evil, evil like this. Jesus died, abandoned. He became the embodiment of all evil. And yet the light dawned. The light dawned on Easter morning. Creation had not been destroyed yet. The light dawned on Easter morning to reveal the smiling face of God. God dwells again with his creation. What does he say? Even where two or three people are gathered together in his name. What a pathetic little group. How pathetic. Why would the infinite God even look? No, where two or three are gathered together, there I am, right in the midst of you. He calls you now, each of us, and he says, come out of hiding. Don't play games. You, you know it's a waste of time. You know it's irrational. Come out of hiding. Commune with me. Partake of the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Blame, set it aside. Pretense, set it aside. For here and also there in the sacrament, God makes creation right again. My shame is taken away. Here you are covered with the very righteousness of the one who became the embodiment of evil. The God side won. And you get all the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So in giving you a son, God comes to you to commune with you. If God was feeling anything from passive aggression against you or anything leading up to and including making violent war against you, he would never say, come and commune with my boy, with my son. Now that you hear that, what will you do? This is the part of a sermon where the pastor almost always gets it wrong. Because the new creation in us doesn't really need to hear, what do you do? It just starts to do the right thing. But perhaps I'll take the, make the dangerous choice of saying a little bit. In him, your fear of judgment's gone, of God. My hiding, your bobbing and weaving, our dodging and playing games, now we see it because God the Holy Spirit has given us the eyes to see. It's all irrational. I'm going to fight that desire to play the games. 
My fear of God is a very rational thing that we understand, and we know what we did with that fear. We played games, but look at what God did with it again. Here's what is rational. In fact, the only thing that is rational in this world, and all rational thoughts flow from this, what is rational is what's real. God's grace, God's love poured out for you. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope that today's meditation on God's Word has enriched you. Divine services are held right here in Bemidji, Minnesota at 8 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Sunday school and adult Bible study is also offered between our Sunday services at 9.15 a.m. If you're listening to this podcast, you're cordially invited to join us in person next week and every week. In addition to our traditional worship services, we will continue to create our podcasts and post video versions of our divine services. Links to a video version of our church services can be found on our website, www.stmarksbemidji.org. Our services will continue to be live-streamed at 8 a.m. Sunday mornings and are posted for later viewing if this time is inconvenient for you. If you have any questions or would like to hear more information about our church and its ministry, please visit our website, which is once again www.stmarksbemidji.org. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider leaving a positive review and telling a friend.